This is big news. It's a big headline because about a dozen Canadian troops have now touched down at a U.N. base in Mali, which marks our official start uh, to one of the most dangerous missions that this country has ever taken part in. And this is not a, a peace mission. And at the height of it, we will see 250 men and women on the ground. And why Mali? I mean, who knows? We could have chosen any mission to fulfill our U.N. duties. And the Trudeau government chose the most deadly ones. And how do we know that? Well, because of history. But even those in charge at the top levels who are now on the ground are reporting that this is far messier than we were told and that we should be prepared for human losses. Let's bring in Stephanie Carbon. She's a Carleton professor and a national security expert. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me on. You know, in light of the fact that we now have men and women on the ground, not a lot has been reported about this. Why? Um, I think, you know, I think to be honest, a lot has been, our focus has been on uh, facing Russia in Eastern Europe, as well as um, the kind of uh, issues with Trump and, and kind of the issues with global stability that way. So we haven't, in, in Mali, you know, I bet you a lot of people couldn't find it on a map. Right. Um, even though it is, it's a pretty big country in Africa. It's, it's no small place. But, um, you know, I just don't think that uh, we have focused on this in, in the way that um, we have other international relations issues. But you're right. Um, perhaps we should, because it is a dangerous mission. And, um, you know, there's uh, a lot of there's a likelihood of, you know, problems ahead. Right. Well, when when the, the top officials there are saying it's far messier, uh, how, how messy would that be? I mean, this is a this is a particular area where the U.N. has lost, I think, up to a couple of hundred of, um, you know, foreigners brought there to try to help and they're coming back in body bags right so um yeah i mean it, there's been quite a number of, of deaths that have occurred and um the reason is is that you know this really you know we keep calling it peacekeeping and sometimes the government calls it peacekeeping it's not peacekeeping like mm-hmm. but even the u.n doesn't call it peacekeeping it's under the u.n peacekeeping banner or it's on the u.n peacekeeping website and you get the facts of the mission there but um, it's actually not really a peacekeeping operation. And, we, and the reason that is, is that, um, th- and this is going to be super nerdy, like if anyone played um, uh, or was part of Model UN in high school, this is for you. But like peacekeeping missions, as originally conceived, go under Chapter 6 of the UN Charter. Now that's like, you know, we can go back old school Cold War where you have really two sides that are fighting, they agree to a ceasefire, and you put your troops in on the ground to ensure that that ceasefire is holding, right, while the political parties come together and try to reach some kind of diplomatic solution. So that's a Chapter 6 operation. That is not even close to what this is. This is what's called the Chapter 7 operation. And if you look at the uh, UN Security Council resolution authorizing it, it explicitly says so. And the difference is that's a peace enforcement operation, right? Mm-hmm. This, the same chapter was used, for example, in the 1991 Gulf War. Um, that that was the authorization. So it allows you use, to use violence in order or all necessary means, as it's called, in order to actually bring about a particular result. Right. But I'm not sure what yeah. that I mean. Why would this government um, choose this particular mission? We could have gone elsewhere. Uh, I know that there was pressure on the government to do something and, and to fulfill its U.N. duties. But what can we possibly hope to get out of this mission other than to say, yes, we were there, we did it and now we're home? 
Well, we came under a lot of pressure from our European allies, frankly, especially France and to a certain degree Germany. Um, that is largely where a lot of this pressure came from. It's a, and, and because it is a hard and difficult mission. And, you know, that's, you know, Canada has good peacekeepers frankly, or peace enforcement are good soldiers. You know, we, we're known for, you know, what we did in Afghanistan and Kandahar. People know that, you know, when Canadians go, they, they do a good job. So that's why there was pressure for Canada to actually go to this region and to uh, assist in, in the operation there. Now, the good news is, um, if you are concerned about casualties, is that we're not actually going to have a heavy footprint on the ground. This is uh, mostly going to be helicopters. Um, that are flying around. A lot of it's going to be doing medical evacuations. And then, of course, there is going to be some counterterrorism operation using those helicopters as well. Um, so this isn't, you know, this isn't going to be different from a place like Kandahar or in Afghanistan in the sense that it, it's, you know, we're not going to be in the population and, and walking among them. We're going to be, it's more of an aerial kind of mission that way. Right, so but, but let me stop you there and ask, though, what about the the, uh, the terror uh, regimes there that are on the ground? Would they not know that? Do they not know about these uh, medical evacuations? And could they not then change their fighting tactics uh, to, to, let's say, shoot planes out of the sky or helicopters out of the sky? Yeah, they could. And, and part of the reason, you know, part of the concern is that you know, following the Libyan war, there's a lot of arms in that region right. that go back yeah. and forth. And that's also a traditional smuggling grounds as well, right? Um, the other real challenge for the Canadians is that, you know, when you're on the ground, I mean, look, when we were in Afghanistan, we knew who we were fighting against. That was the Taliban, right? There's a couple of groups here and there, but basically you're fighting the Taliban. Um, the problem with this area is that there's not one group that you're fighting there's several sometimes these groups fight each other Mm -hmm. um like they're really it it really i don't want to you know i don't want to make it sound like thunderdome but i mean really you're dealing in a situation where you have um multiple different groups all with competing interests all fighting for different audiences and control and the challenges for the un uh mission there which includes canada is that you have to figure out Who's doing what at any given time? And you can't just sit down and bring the parties together, right? Because they're so fractious. Mm-hmm. And these groups, not only that, they tend to come together, they fall apart. They, some of them want to pledge allegiance to large extremist groups like uh, the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, things like that. Some of them want to break away from those groups. So that's the problem. It's like there's, it's a combination of kind of global terrorist movements, local grievances, uh, transnational crime is huge. A lot of these are just really kind of criminal enterprises that are that have kind of dressed themselves up. Um, so that's that's the challenge. But do we have any allies in the area that we can trust or is Canada really kind of on its own here? Oh, well, there, look, no, there's there's definitely a, a United uh, Nations peacekeeping mission. There's 11,000 troops on the ground, right, of which we're going to be sending, I believe, around 250. Right. So, I mean, so this thing is, though, a lot of those, the problem with peacekeeping missions generally is that they tend to often attract a kind of, I don't want to say, you know, just troops that maybe aren't trained to Canadian standards, right? right, Or aren't as well equipped. And so, you know, you're talking a lot of times these troops, kind of, uh, these peacekeepers come from Pakistan, they come from Bangladesh, they come from countries like this. And often the peacekeeping missions themselves actually help to fund those armies, right? right? They get paid for being on the ground. We don't, we don't do that. Um, so basically, um, there's a, an, it's authorized up to 15,000. So yeah, no, we're not alone. It's not like it's just there's 250 Canadians and that's it. But it is a considerable geographic area. I mean, just to be clear, Mali itself, I mean, there's a real division between the north and the south. 
South. The South is relatively stable. Bamako is a functioning city. It has a long history of, of culture and art and music. And, you know, so it's not like it's, uh, like the complete desert or something. But in the North, there are these problems of, again, the transnational uh, criminal groups who are very well armed, the terrorist groups, various armed militia, and really the aftermath of the Libyan uh, conflict. Okay, so what's the best that we can hope to get out of this, other than no casualties? But what really um, are we expecting at the end of this mission? Is there any semblance of any kind of organization, let alone peace in this area? Or is it just we're going to go in, do our part, leave and say, well, we did our part and now it's still screwed up? I suspect it's going to be the latter, uh, just being a realist about it. I mean, the thing is, Canada came under a lot of pressure again from its allies to do something. We said, fine, okay, we'll go here to Mali. Um, There really wasn't that great of a solution. I mean, if you're looking at the other UN peacekeeping missions, you're looking at Democratic Republic of Congo. That's a very dangerous mission. Central African Republic, very dangerous mission. Uh, uh, Parts of Sudan. I mean, it's really, um, there really wasn't that great of a mission. So at least in this sense, we are kind of um, aiding our allies, Mm -hmm. aiding France, aiding Germany. I do believe that is important. Um, But you're right. I mean, look, we've said, I I believe General Vance has, you know, who's obviously head of our armed forces, he's come out and said, look, this is one year and one year only, and then we're out. You know what? You're not going to fix Mali in a year. No. But we can, you know, the Trudeau government, for for what it's worth, is going to be able to say, hey, yeah, we we made a campaign promise, we did it, now we're out. Yeah, the problem is, if body bags start coming back in the next six months to a year, that's not going to play favorably to them in an election year, let alone, uh, you know, as a legacy, that they chose the most dangerous mission. I think that's probably true. And I think this is where part of the, you know, when, when, you know, at the beginning of the segment, you and I were talking, you said, well, no one's really talking about this. No one's really heard about it. And I think that's a problem. I think the Canadian government, um, the Trudeau government needs to explain to Canadians why we're there, right? They, they haven't really, other than saying, you know, we're keeping in a campaign promise, you need to actually tell Canadians why we're there. I actually think, you know, I'm with you. I'm a bit skeptical. I think this is, um, I, I don't think this is a peacekeeping mission. This is more or less a counterterrorism mission with some stability components attached to it. Um, but, and, and so, but let's be honest with Canadians. Let's say, hey, this is a counterterrorism investigation. You know, um, it wasn't that long ago, rebel groups in this area kidnapped uh, two Canadians and held them hostage in brutal conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kind of groups that uh, they, there was an attack on a hotel and killed uh, a number of people from Quebec. Um, so, you know, these groups have killed Canadians. They're, they're not, um, uh, they're, they're, you know, so, so it's not like Canada has been immune from these actions. It's not like this is totally removed. Right. So I think there is actually a case the government could make, but I, I, I think it's a problem that the government, frankly, hasn't made uh, this case and explained to you, myself, or any of the listeners here, why it's important that Canada is there other than, you know, ticking a box on the, uh, you know, 2015 promises. Well, I can think of one. It's that old Security Council seat at the table, but we'll see. Stephanie, I got to leave. Yeah, well, you know, the rumor is it's no longer a thing, but... Yeah, that's that's what I'm hearing, too. But at the time, I think it was, and so we'll see. Stephanie, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Stephanie Carvin joining us. And yeah, that was what I was referring to is the, uh, you know, Trudeau desperately wants a seat at the Security Council. You know, the one where all the despots sit on and and call into question all the values of everyone else. Um, And some had said that this mission was to get favor. But now apparently 
we don't want a seat at that table anymore, or we haven't been making the proper efforts. I'm not sure where it stands, but that's what I'm talking about. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson, and this is Global News Radio.